Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by Gymdesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Keith Kepner a boxing coach and founder of the Kepner Boxing Franchise. In this episode, Keith reveals to us the secrets to preparing for, launching, and growing a successful commercial boxing gym. Beyond that, we explore how you can balance running a gym that produces serious competitors with serving people who just want a good workout on the bag. Without further ado, Keith Kepner. Well, welcome to the Gym Heroes podcast. Go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us about your background in boxing and in business. Yeah, so my name is Keith Kepner, and I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia. Spent all my life in Athens, Georgia, except for I was in Mexico for about two years where I boxed for a period of time. And uh, my background is that my father is a professional boxing coach as well as a PhD in neuroscience, clinical psychologist. So I grew up with boxing always in the background, but I was never that much into it. Then I got severely sick with Lyme disease that went undiagnosed for about five years, had to drop out of high school. And uh, boxing was a field of diamonds in my own backyard for me to help me become the antithesis of what I was, which was about a 125 pound, five foot eight, uh, 17 year old that had horrible carpal tunnel on my wrists and whatnot and a weakling. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I got attracted to boxing. And uh, that was you know my path. And so I got into that, um, was not very successful as a boxer, but uh, in that course, uh, if you're not very good at it, you learn a lot about it. And so that mm-hmm. equipped me to be a good coach. So when I started coaching in 2010, found success with that and then needed to do my own thing because uh, partnerships oftentimes don't work out. And so I started my own business uh, along with who would be my future wife, uh, Lissa, in 2013. Awesome. Okay. So b- boxing is kind of a hot trend right now. You're seeing it yeah. on YouTube a lot. They got... Uh, it started, I think, with Logan Paul, and then now you've got that creator cr- clash thing that just happened. So it, there's a big interest in it right now. Um, what what makes boxing more accessible than previous trends like kickboxing? I mean, kickboxing is still popular, but yeah, like, what makes it more accessible uh, accessible than kickboxing and, and other combat sports related yeah, trends? Well, let me throw some things out here, and I hope it doesn't come across you the wrong way because you know you're somebody that obviously does a kicking art. And mm-hmm. to be clear, you know, my wife fought 22 fights and 16 of those fights were in Muay Thai K1 rules and rules like that. She also did some MMA fights as well with a yeah. couple of boxing fights. So I have massive respect for all martial arts and particularly combat sports. Uh, but I would say with boxing, one thing is that it's such a rich history with mm-hmm. uh, being truly almost really America's martial art, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also visually, Something about punches with somebody else is really entertaining and exciting. 
uh, obviously, you know, done in a certain fashion. Obviously, some people get bored by some boxing, but uh, it has the uh, has the potential to be very entertaining. And then there's a, a kind of a weird awkwardness. It doesn't mean it's not effective, but weird awkwardness as far as visually with uh, kicking sports, even things like as brutal as Muay Thai, where it's just like not as smooth and pretty as boxing. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it's freaking brutal as hell and amazing, but it's just not as pretty. And uh, so, yeah. And then as far as a participation standpoint is it's one thing right? It's like, how many times can I connect my knuckles to the target areas of your body? And how many times can you do it to me? And uh, that's it. So it's like really simple, really straightforward. Uh, but obviously, like with things like that, there's so many awesome nuances, but I think that's what makes it appealing because it's really freaking basic in a sense. Yeah, it's, um, you under, it doesn't, I guess it's less daunting in the sense of, hey, I'm just going to focus on being really good at footwork and punching. <laughs> right? Right? No, exactly. <laughs> that, like eight things, right? That's why it's the, the sweet science. And then there's like, there's this weird, um, I know I, I actually have a friend who's a, he's a Korean martial artist like I am. Yeah. Um, not Korean, but he's sure. Italian. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's in the Korean martial like I am, very, very yeah. Tong Sudo, very, very related to Taekwondo. Um, and he does boxing because he, he really likes boxing, not just because he has a stylistic affinity to it. Like mm-hmm. he, he likes to learn the hands, but, uh, because it's like, it's Western too. It's like a Western martial art. So it's Darn like right. Eastern martial arts is c- really cool. And a lot of us grew up with like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan and, and Chuck Norris and stuff. And it's super cool, but it's like, all right, wh- what can I do that also that I have some sort of like cultural continuity with, yeah. so to speak? Oh gosh. And, and, and the thing like you're talking about, like the cultural continuity is the fact of honestly, the diversity of demographics, right. Mm-hmm. is like, it's like George Foreman said, like every race, ethnic group and creed has shed blood in that ring. You know, you yeah. had back in the thirties, the Jewish fighters, you had the Italian fighters, obviously the blacks and Latins and just watch what a wide variety. And now you have the Eastern Europeans, which used to be so unsuccessful, but now <laughs> they've, uh, as a pros, but now they've become very successful. And, uh, and then, so it's just, it's really an international sport now, but also as an American sport. Also, it's the first professional sport really actually, because think about it, Josh, you know, you went back in the day, want to ride for a few days or however many days it would take to get to an event to watch people like hit a ball. Right. So it's the yeah. antithesis, obviously, of com of, of competition is a combat sport, but boxing in America was the first one with prize money with a purse. Right. Yeah. So you can actually make a living doing it. You can get right. you know, it's like the way Muay Thai is in uh, Thailand now with kids trying to get out of poverty. Mm. But yep. uh, but you could you had a lot of people, you have your, you know, you have like your your Rocky style story with people getting out of poverty, working in these gritty gyms and then becoming a world champion and being really wealthy because of it. That's right. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, of cultural, um, I mean, it's like you, you, you learned, uh, you boxed in Mexico. I mean, big, big deal in Mexico, big deal. Yeah, in, it's like in a Mexico, biggest sport <laughs> in, in like Central America and stuff. Yeah. And like, we even have like ancient Egypt had a boxing yeah, style like a rule set, and, and of yep. course the Olympics, and um, it looked different, but still like they wrapped up and and went at it. So yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's very cool. So what um switching gears here, somebody w- decides that they want to open a boxing gym, they want to make teaching, and coaching a career path, maybe after pro fighting or instead of pro fighting. Yeah. Um, what goes into what? What do you need to have in or, order your ducks in a row, so to speak, before the gym is open? What needs to be in place? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And you know, first, 
it starts with the person mm-hmm. uh, because you you mentioned two drastically different types of people, right? Someone who does it instead of pro fighting and someone who does it maybe after pro fighting, something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, what I've seen, let me talk about the, the second group of people first, and that's the after pro fighting or after some type of uh, competitive experience is that <clears throat> what they have to remember or learn is that now the role is completely different. It's no longer all about them, right? Because to be a successful athlete is purely a selfish endeavor. Uh, yeah. And particularly in boxing, like how I was raised in boxing, it was like, you know, kill or be killed, um, yeah. which is not necessarily the best mindset, even as a martial artist, but mm-hmm. uh, it's there a lot and for sometimes large utility. And so when you when you start your own business and you want to have your be paid as a coach, uh, obviously now it's not about you, it's about everybody else. But then as well, you have to accept the fact that it doesn't matter at all how much you know about boxing. This is something I experienced when I started my own business because I was like, well, man, I'm a better coach than all these other coaches. And, and man, like, you know, so-and-so down the street, he doesn't know crap about boxing <laughs> yeah. you know, compared to me. And so I'm like, man, why don't people just come to me? Like, why do they even go to him? Like, I felt personally insulted about it, right? And I know a lot of coaches that feel like that uh, when they're struggling with their business, and most are, unfortunately. Uh, but then they need to simply realize that, hey, you're stepping into a whole nother endeavor, all right? It's, it's not just because your service is now boxing. Uh, you are now starting a business and everything is different and everything you did with boxing is not going to directly correlate. All right. Um, and so mastering marketing, mastering sales, and then mastering administrative and then leading a team and being able to, to grow your team. So it's not just an army of one, but it's an army of many. So you actually have a life instead of having handcuffs to your business. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hear people say things like, yeah, you have a black belt in jujitsu, but not a black belt in business. <laughs> right. It's yeah. true. It's true. Um, well, let me put it this way though, too, is that even if you had a black belt in business, you know, it's like what I think Gracie, one of the Gracie said this, right. Is that the black belt only covers a small part of your butt. Right. Right. And yeah. uh, so same thing with business. Right. So I've seen a lot of people, you know, I'm in uh, Athens, University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, you know, I'm a high school dropout. I have no high school. Edu- I have really, well, yeah, honestly, no high school education, but definitely no college education. And I, I would see so many high school, gra- I mean, uh, college graduates and whatnot, people uh, with degrees in business and whatnot, and they can't fight their way out of a paper bag in a business sense. Right. right. Yeah. And just like, I'm sure, you know, you've seen that as well with maybe, you know, some people that have had experience with martial arts and, but they're actually, just because you know, the ideas doesn't mean you actually are a good fighter. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> I think that you don't really have, well, I, I actually, I think it's corny to, to say things like I have a black belt in business because like the, the fundamentals you find in martial arts that are analogous to other things are just, they're just fundamentals. They're not, mm. it's not like everything's martial arts, just everything is, has a sort of fundamental. That's right. Operating sort of behavioral, um, physics to it or a dynamics to it, right? Like humans behave a certain ways and you have things like your Pareto principle. There's a reason why the Pareto principle applies to almost everywhere. And that's because the Pareto principle is describing self-organized human behavior, social behavior. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Under underlying or overarching themes, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you're really describing human behavior. You're not saying that just martial arts applies everywhere. You're, you're saying it's actually just human behavior applies everywhere. Right. Um, but it's whatever. People, people, analogies help people to move knowledge between domains. But you have to have that direct experience in marketing, in business. That's if right. You, if you don't know how that works, then no, a hundred analogies 
you know, from the Tao of Jeet Kune Do or wherever you get them from are never going to make you successful. Yeah. Well, and I would say like going along with that analogy or that theme is the course that it didn't make sense to me, but it made sense to me with boxing for some reason, but it's funny. It didn't make yeah. sense to me with business until I got into it. And then obviously hindsight. Uh, so I got into boxing. Why did I get into boxing? Cause I had a father who's a professional boxing coach. So mm-hmm. I had somebody mentor me. And then when I became a coach, she mentored me as a coach. All right. I didn't do what some of these people do, which is, you know, they maybe do the sport for a little bit and then they stop and then they go off and try to figure out how to be a coach. And they don't seek somebody to teach them how to be a coach because granted, you're not going to be exactly like your coach, but you can learn a lot from someone who's been doing it for decades, right. As a coach and from that perspective and no longer from the perspective of being an athlete. So that's what I had. But when I got in the business, I didn't have that. And I was struggling and I was like, well, like, well, what the hell? It didn't make sense to me. Right. But obviously in hindsight, it's like, well, I needed mentors. I needed coaches. I needed people to lead me and guide me just like you do when you're an athlete or a fighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that's something really important that people miss out. And now granted though, sometimes just like with a fighter, right. If you really want a coach to dedicate a lot of time to you and give you a lot of energy, uh, no matter who you are, it's not only your natural talent and ability that will attract them. It will attract some coaches, yes. But I would say a winning recipe to attract a good coach in business or in fighting or anything is to show that you're willing to do the work, man, and to be doing the work before you come across them. So this has been my experience with uh, my first mentor in business, which was, well, actually my second. My first was my wife because she managed a gym for about nine years when I met her. So she helped me tremendously. But, and she was essential for my, for our growth as a business. But, uh, this gentleman that was across the country in San Francisco, uh, he started giving me a lot of tips on marketing. He really was my first, I guess, marketing mentor. And mm-hmm. the, the reason I think he felt attracted to me, uh, and to, to help me out so much is because I wouldn't question what he would tell me to do. Right. I would, ex- you know, just like a, a good fighter, like, okay, coach, what I do, do this. Okay. Gotcha. And I'll do my best to execute. And only after executing to the best of my abilities, would I give any feedback on it, right? So that's one thing. Um, I was not dumb enough to not, to, to not realize what, everything I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember he made a, a beautiful prediction for, for me, for my wife and I back in 2015, because we were in the business, you know, 24-7 period. I coached literally every session, 36 plus a week and personals on top of that. She was in the facility all the time. And people were like, oh, this business is so great. Too bad it's just great just because of you guys, right? And it's like, you know, that's the only reason it's great is because of you, Keith, right? And that, you know, that strokes your ego and you have to put that aside. But he said back in those days, he said, uh, you guys will get to the point where literally all you're going to be doing is doing some sales calls for the business and you'll have all the free time you want to do anything else you want and you'll be making a great living. Mm-hmm. And he was partially right on that. We got to that point in 2018, 19. And then we're like, well, what the hell do we do now? Right. (laughs) And so then we outsourced even doing sales for the location that we own now. We own two now. Uh, but, uh, and then got into launching a franchise concept, which Mm. obviously that's a whole new business, just like a whole new martial arts. Like, just cause I'm a good boxer doesn't mean I can jump into Jin Kundo and start doing that, man. I need, I, I got to start from zero again. Right. Right. Absolutely. So what, what about more of the mundane things? So when somebody wants yeah. to open up a gym, no, let's talk exact. Yeah. What, what do they need? What do they need? I mean, that's really important. Don't start okay. a business if you have no business experience or any education, right? Sure. Get your education. So we've got, we're, we talked about that. That's probably the most important part. Yeah. Um, what, what needs to be on somebody's radar in terms of liability, insurance, legal, that sort of yeah. stuff? Well, it depends what state you're in. What state mm-hmm. are you in, Josh? 
Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay, cool. I'm in Georgia. Yeah. So like for instance, know your state laws with uh, requirements. Some states require more uh, like a, a small group training certificate, things like that. Some don't. Georgia mm-hmm. does not. Um, with boxing at least, it's very easy and inexpensive, like talking a hundred bucks or less or you know, a little bit more than hundred bucks now uh, to become a USA boxing certified coach, certify your gym as a USA boxing gym. And then automatically there's some reasonable liability for insurance there, but then general liability and you can just get that anywhere, general business liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then thirdly to that is to having a really good waiver. Right. And uh, it's one of those things that anyone that reaches out to me, I'm happy to give them our waiver because it's not, you know, a super secret, but it's pretty extensive on talking about everything you may experience. And so therefore all of the um, presumption is upon, okay, you had a bad experience. Well, it says here and here and here and here and here that these things could happen, right? They're probably not, but they could. And so, yeah, so there's, there's uh, the presumption of the uh, situation there as you walk into it. Now uh, you want to find a location. That's the biggest thing where I see people with boxing gyms mess up on is they think if they just open up something in the middle of nowhere that people will come. And yes, you will get some people, but mm-hmm. you're going to get a small fraction of the amount of people you could get if you put yourself in a high traffic area. Uh, yes, you're going to pay a little bit more in rent, but hey, that's actually just look at, look at that as advertising costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get a gosh darn sign up, man. It's something that with boxing, it's just too much. People don't spend any money on their sign or they don't even have a sign. And uh, it's like a damn secret, man. And yeah. At the end of the day, I don't know. It's like they're a little too cool for school, right? It's like they don't want to sell out. But I don't know, man. I want to be like Metallica when I remember like one of them said, like, yeah, we sold out. We sell out every night, right? And <laughs> that's the way That's the way that you can, you know, support your... Because the way that my wife taught me to do it, because I was raised, you know, my father, a clinical psychologist, and his hobby was boxing. And he was special because his pro boxing gym paid for itself, right? He mm. didn't make money, but he wasn't losing money, okay? So he, yeah. he was an enigma with that. Now, uh, so then when I got into it, you know, here, I don't have another career path. So this is literally all I have to make money and to live. Yeah. And so I'm trying to run it like he ran his and it wasn't <laughs> making money. It wasn't doing yep. it. Yep. And so I had to quick. And so my wife exposed me to the concept. Okay. Look, train general public, make it very clear that it's beginner friendly, everything else. Cause that's where the bread and butter is. And then don't worry about attracting the fighters because the fighters will come. And that is the darn honest truth is that we do zero marketing for fighters or anything like that, or try to attract those type of individuals, but we market all to, we're beginner friendly. We love beginners. And that's the truth we do. And and as a coach too, I actually like working with beginners and building them from scratch more than taking someone with a little bit of experience, but uh, everyone else comes, man. You don't have to worry about attracting those people. But what you do need to worry about, if you want to run a boxing business and a boxing gym, something that is... I think it's a challenge for other martial arts facilities, but I definitely know it's a challenge for boxing is do not, do not ever sacrifice your business, your bread and butter. And it helps if you live off the thing and that's your only source of income on a fighter or on a couple fighters. Mm. Uh, don't let them run the show. All right. Mm. You know, I, tra- I train all of our coaches, all of our team. And we talk about with our franchise partners as well. Doesn't matter if a young Mike Tyson walks through your door with that level of potential and that, you know, skill set or, or, you know, just natural explosiveness and everything else. Uh, if they're acting like a young Mike Tyson, even if they can be heavyweight champion of the world, the amount of things you're going to lose to try to serve that person and the amount of people you're going to lose uh, is not going to be worth it. And it's like betting on racehorses, man. If that racehorse breaks a leg, you know, now your fighter is gone and now your cash cow is gone. And, you know, you, you, you will, you've destroyed your business. You have no money. Yeah. Don't bet on kids. <laughs> right, right? 
<laughs> don't expect kids to be around in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darn right. Darn right. And that's what creates for a lot of frustration, I think, because coaches, I see them pour so much time. And don't get me wrong. Like I put a little mm-hmm. bit of time into, you know, our fighters and whatnot and give them what they need to succeed. But they they literally build their whole life around this person. Mm. And yeah. Th- yeah. And it's it's a it's a sick relationship too, because then there's this weird pressure now. And that's one of the troubles with professional boxing is there becomes this really odd relationship pressure where you have these individuals. Some of them are from certain backgrounds, so they don't have a father figure. You are now that father figure, yeah. but there's a weird incentive now tied to it. And, uh, and, and it can be very dangerous for that person. Yeah. It's like a weird codependent situation. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So we, we, so we talked about leading up to the gym fundamentals of before you launch. What about at launch? What, what makes a successful gym launch? What elements need to be in play? Well, I would say above everything else, simply your marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have to be doing marketing. And nowadays, obviously, this was not news five years ago, and it's still not news today. But social media marketing, that's where we get the majority of our leads from mm-hmm. uh, social media and website. And uh, that's just the easiest way to do it. Because word of mouth, there, there's ways to work that and to grow that. But if you really want to actually create a sustainable business, you have to be willing to commit a certain amount of capital. Uh, let's say it be 5% or 10% of your hopeful earnings for that year or that hopeful uh, gross profit uh, to, to grow your business, man. And if you don't, it is literally, man, I mean, it's just marketing is, is you can look at it this way. It's not only for growth, but it's also for insurance. Because if you are not growing your business, it is not stagnant. It's going to go one way or the other. It's going to go up or it's going to go down. So if yeah. you're not marketing, it's not going to happen. And then second of that is something that I had to learn. And so this is, again, this super applies to boxing people, is that uh, martial arts and boxing can be very clicky and everything else. And yeah. I know for a fact that the moment that I stopped being clicky is when our business really took off um, because people are like, oh, it's such a nice, friendly place. And oh, Keith is so great, nice and friendly. And you got to lose the clickiness. You got to lose the uh, facade of you know being a badass or whatever, or that, oh, this is something special only for a select group of people. And some people don't even purposely do that, but it's, it's, you got to, you got to, that first impression is made in four, first four seconds, right? And according to the research I've read, it takes up to seven re-exposures to someone to make up for a bad first impression. So mm. good luck getting seven times in the real world to do that. Yeah, uh, And that's where, again, my wife called me out back there before I started my own business when she was training with me as a fighter for a period of time. She said, like, dude, you're, you're mugging everyone that walks through the door, like every dude, right? You're mean mugging them. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was because I was worried, you know, I was, I thought maybe they would challenge me. I thought, you know, maybe they would think I'm not a tough guy or whatever and that type of thing. And yeah. then I realized, okay, I just need to actually kill people with kindness. And that's how we train all of our staff and all of our coaches. Yeah. Be welcoming. That's right. Business and kill them with kindness, man. You disarm, this, disarm them, right? Yeah. Disarm them, yeah. right? Because if you try to be all, mm, 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 you know, in a way that articulates insecurity. Yeah, it does for sure. So what about going beyond, beyond the opening and maintaining healthy growth? We're, we're, seems like we're kind of going into a recession. What, what, what do we need to do? I mean, I think the answer is going to be very similar, but um, what do we need to do to keep membership and growth healthy during after a launch? Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, definitely very similar answer. Um, I would say one thing though, this has been in my advice for some individuals that I've worked with that own their own one-off models that aren't a part of our system, uh, is that there, you know, there's many avenues for increasing revenue with your current base. And to do that, 
through legitimate means, not mm-hmm. uh, through means that are just unethical and, and not right to do mm-hmm. uh, and not good for long-term growth. But different things like we do member appreciation uh, uh, signups where they can prepay again for another membership and get a discount on that. And that yeah. can help you increase revenue during uh, down markets because you already have people that believe in you. Because it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing to work with, at least I experienced as a business owner, especially when I was in there all the time, is you, you, it just, you feel like it's dirty to sell people things where if it's of actual value and you actually believe in it, it's not dirty. And so, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. a, it was a big mind shift thing for me, especially over the past, you know, four or five years. Um, but the easiest people to sell to are your current member base. Cause they already believe in you. The hardest people to sell to are new people. But for some reason, like mentally as someone not very confident in themselves, maybe in sales or whatever, uh, or you have all these like kind of stigmas attached to selling, it's easier to sell people you don't know, if that makes sense. Josh. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if I don't know you, I can like, be okay with coming across wrong perhaps. But if I know you, it's like, oh gosh, I want to preserve our relationship. I don't want to lose trust and everything else. And da, da, da. But it's like, man, it's all about how you ask for it. Like, let me give you a perfect example. I remember this one uh, great gym owner I know who was asking me how to increase referrals. And I said, hey man, like literally we've tried a few different ways. And literally the best way we found to do it that our staff does it is they say, hey, Josh, we're really working at, you know, growing the business and get more referrals and, you know, impacting more people with this. Hey man, you got anyone you think that might want to come check us out? <laughs> you know, we'll give them a, a buddy pass, or whatever. So there's like straight out, there's no like special, you know, tactic or anything or kind of bait and switch type scenario or, or, Hey, you know, Josh, if you give me this, I'll give you some free stuff. You know, it's like, you know, maybe I'll do that. You know, like, Hey, you want a free shirt, man? If you give us like five referrals, that cool, you know, just like basic stuff like that, but not this whole type of extra, construct and pressure people people put on themselves with like, okay, well, if I'm going to ask Josh for referrals, I have to, I have to make it worth Josh as well. It's like, nah, dude, if I've been serving you well and you like us and you know, you love it here, man, you're going to want to do that. I mean, if you asked me for referrals, I'd give it to you if I liked you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, but you, if you did want to add a little zest to it, like, you know, Hey, we'll take like a little bit off your tuition. If you, yeah. If some, if you refer somebody and they sign up. Now, let um, me jump on that real quick, Josh. Yeah. Let me be, let me be a contrarian, right? Because okay. when I stopped boxing, I strongly considered being a lawyer, but I didn't go that path. And I'm happy I didn't because I like this path a lot more, but I am a little bit of a, uh, so it can be, can be a contrarian sometime. Mm-hmm. So one thing with the membership discount that I'm not a big fan of. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, teach your own flavor, man. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I'm just not a fan of it is it is articulating to that person that what you're paying. For, what you're paying is not worth it. Hmm. And so I have learned, and I now come from the school. I didn't used to come from the school, but now I do come from the school of never discount your service, never mm-hmm. discount your service. So uh, it would maybe be, maybe you can get a free month, but even with that, it's like assuming that it's not easy for you to pay what you do pay for what you get right now. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's where it's this thing of, yeah, it's just like, I, you know, so I'll give you a free pair of gloves, man. If you give us like 20 referrals or something, right. Or like a free shirt, something like that. That's separate from the service. Cause that's something, by the way, go, jumping back to before opening, right. Pre-sale. So we've launched quite a few locations and we've had, you know, membership, uh, signups, you know, being the 50 plus members upon opening. And obviously that's, you know, it can be way better than that. But regardless, so many people start a business, they don't pre-sell anything for memberships. Mm-hmm. And then they're, you know, they build it and they hope things will come and they don't realize that Kevin Costner in that movie is a liar, right? And yeah. so 
the thing is with that, for instance, we have tried like pre-sales where you get a discount of the membership for those founders. But man, at the end of the day, it's like, nah, you need to work out the deal in another way. So therefore, because let me tell you from an admin side, you know, man, from an administrative side, this is something my wife hated about her previous gym that she managed for a long time is you had, they had like 300, 400 members and they were like, everyone felt like it was paid a different rate. So someone's like, oh, I want to renew. And she's like, okay, hold on. Let me go through and look through all these things. And, oh, you're paying, you know, this random amount, you know, and, oh, you're paying, <laughs> you know, $2 more than that person. And, you know, oh yeah, we, we put you in. So it's just like a complete nightmare versus this type of like uniform, bam, bam, bam. And the way that we frame it to people as well, just a little bit on the sales side of how we sell memberships and things like that is, is fairness, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say like right now I'm trying to, you know, you you try to session with us and working on helping you sign up and you're saying, oh man, well, you know, uh, can I, can I do the year rate, but can I do that month to month? And I'm like, Josh, like I completely hear where you're coming from, man, but it's honestly not fair to everyone else that committed to a whole year to get that reduced pay, right? So that just wouldn't be fair to do to those other people. Make sense? And so mm-hmm. that's, you know, how you frame it to people versus being like, oh man, well, you know, oh, well, I guess so. And it's like, that's the darn truth, man. Because if you have a bunch of members that are paying, they commit to a year and they're paying less, it is not fair to them for me to sign somebody up uh, to pay as much as they do. And they'll only commit for a month, right? It's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that a lot of people do that. When I, I ran a Taekwondo for school for a while, so I didn't discount my services. Yeah. Um, when, when somebody did a referral, my referral program was you got like, you got you and the person you referred got something if they signed up. Nice. Women. So I would, I, like um, I think I, one of them was like the, you both got like this special uniform nice. um, that looked really sick. Like it was really cool. Like I, I like lost money on it, but I just thought it was cool. Um, (laughs) So it was so like, yeah, I guess they got this cool uniform with like all this embroidery and stuff on it. And it just looked super, super cool. Um, Or like free pair of nunchucks or something like that. Um, That's a way you can do it without doing the the tuition. um, Yeah. Lowering thing, the percentage off. And I I like the win-win thing too, because also going back to the downside of, of discounting sometimes or of like you're saying, Mm-hmm. not having both people seemingly win. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like the way we typically do is like the only people that win are just your buddy because they signed up and you win because now you have your buddy, right? Like there's no yeah. other incentives. But the second you kind of go up to someone and you're like, hey, dude, like you want me to like pay you money so you can give me somebody? There's like this weird thing feel now that feels like a monetization of our relationship mm-hmm. versus like, just like, Hey dude, like we want to grow what we're doing. You love it here. Right. Yeah. Cool. Like you got any buddies you want to train with, you know, cause we love to have them here. We'll, we'll give them like a, you know, free three days or whatever. Cool. Awesome. You know, we're like, you're saying, you know, you win and your buddy wins. Like, let's do that. So yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, that's a good way to like, you, you probably, and you actually probably spend less money on it if, as long as you're not buying like an expensive uniform. It's like a pair right. of nunchucks is like two bucks from Century or, you know, whatever. The darn good wholesale. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing too, as a business owner. And I would recommend people not doing this initially because I, because I guess like when I first started, at least, I don't know, the type of guy I am, uh, starting from scratch with no business experience, business experience, I was very susceptible to getting too much information. Right. And then with too much information, just doing nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so things, as you go through your journey, 
of owning a business if you're doing it by yourself and not with a franchise, because with the franchise, it's all, you know, laid, laid out for you and everything else. Um, yeah. And you have coaches and support with that. But if you're just doing it yourself, I recommend not knowing your cost of ac- acquisition if you are not business savvy and focusing on just am I marketing through standard means, which is Instagram and Facebook, and then and have a website. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with those leads that are coming through, am I going after those enough, which means you are calling and texting them at least for the first three days, at least once a day, but really ideally twice a day. Um, and then are, are you providing a reasonably good service, right? Making sure that's on point. And then when someone comes and tries your service, right? Recommend giving that them the ability to try it one time for free. They come in, they try it one time for free. Are you making an effort to actually sell them at the end? And that's where I know people that are not from a sales background, they're like, oh God, sell, sell people at the end. Oh, high pressure. That sucks. I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, no, just simply come at it from the way of a coach. And that's actually something that's beautiful about how we train our coaches to close personal training in small group is it's like, if they were training you in a session, it's like, Hey, Josh, it was great work with you. When do you want to do this again? And you start the conversation like that. Oh, well, you know, this time worked for me. Awesome. You know, did you have an idea what option you want to sign up for? No, I don't. Cool. Awesome. Let's go through it. This is the most uh, budget-friendly option. Go for that one. And that's actually the highest ticket one, but it's the most budget-friendly because it's the less per session cost, right? Because you're buying in bulk. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, you don't have that much? Cool. Awesome. We'll do like the five pack. We'll do, you know, one pack, one off, you know, da, da, da. And yeah, so doing like that. But remembering that if I come to your studio, right? Or someone knows the boxing gym, I'll come, come to your boxing gym, man. And I take a session and afterwards you're like, hey, Keith, awesome. Great work. Later. See ya. Then I feel there's kind of this feeling of like, well, does, do they even want me here? Like, do they like me? Right. <laughs> but if, but if they do it in a sincere way of like, hey, man, like, awesome work. When are you going to be back in, you know, like, or, and they find out what my goals are beforehand, everything else. Um, you know, that's really, that's service, man. Service it's selling in the right way is service. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, somebody who comes in and tried out a boxing class, they're kind of want to do it anyway. So they wouldn't be there. They really didn't want it. If they fundamentally didn't want to be there, they wouldn't be there. Damn right. Uh, you can't make somebody, it's a little bit different than a car, than selling a car. You can't make somebody come out to, you know, with the car, they kind of need the car and they rope you in and whatever. And they're like, you know, unscrupulous, but with a boxing gym, no, no way. You're not the, like, there's no way you're not, you're not dragging them out there. So just be friendly and be like, Hey, when am I going to see you again? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the thing is too, with the boxing gym that's different than the car is like a few fold. Well, so like one thing is like right now I saw franchises. So we're talking $45,000 and $130,000 commitment. Okay. Mm -hmm. But 45 is your franchise fee. So going to that world of selling things for $45,000 versus $1,000 or $450, um, it it really changes your your mindset. uh, Then when I, you know, do work with my staff and things like that, where it's like, it's like, Hey dude, like everybody has a few hundred bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody can afford a membership, honestly. And like you're saying, if they came out and they have interest, um, they probably would enjoy it. And what's so beautiful is that if they don't enjoy it, you know, let's get them signed up for a shorter term commitment, right? Maybe it's just a month and they don't like it. Cool. No worries. Or like what we do, and this is, you know, how you overcome a uh, pre-buyer's remorse 
experience. You know, people won't make a decision because they're worried about going home and being like, God, that was idiotic. Is you say, is you have the seven day money back guarantee? And like for a lot of states, that's the law. I, at least I don't know if it's the state of Georgia, that's the law, but it's also just what we do with our franchise where it's like, hey, you know, let's lock it in right now. You know, worst case scenario, you go home, you're like, this is a horrible idea. I should have done this or two days from now. And, you know, bring your equipment back, full refund, no questions asked. Sound fair enough? And boom, easy. Awesome. That's great. That's really, really great advice. So let's let's pivot now to talking about staffing your gym. Like, how do you go about yeah. finding boxing coaches? And I know that you have a particular approach that's involved in your franchise. So how do you go about finding those coaches? And then how do you go about training them in your specific approach? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna talk. Well, I was gonna try to come at it from a specific angle, but so the biggest thing I see is that. <clears throat> Where owners will mess up, and I believe they do this with martial arts as well, so it all, it all just applies. But with boxing specifically, I, I see this 100%, is you get somebody based off the fact that they have boxing experience. You get someone based off the fact that they're a boxing coach. And that's something that we steer our franchise partners uh, very strongly away from doing that. Not that all boxing people aren't any good or yada, 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 but the key qualifier of a good team member is someone with the right characteristics, the right, you know, they have the same values as you do and as you want for your brand. And they are focused on customer service, right? And putting other people, frankly, above themselves because that's what a great coach does. And I've seen so many coaches with less experience, less ability, really, in terms of technically, become far better coaches in a business sense, but also for an athlete sense and for a client sense. Because they came at it with the right perspective. They, had, they were the right types of people, right? Uh, they really cared about other people versus really liking contact sports or really being a fan of boxing or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so some people that we have found to be great fits are school teachers, people like that, that you know, they already know how to work with people that are of different levels and things like that and, and not be overly judgmental and also have a growth mindset with people, right? Because so many of us, we maybe go through high school or whatever, and we have a high school coach and some of them are great, but some of them are just horrible and they're, they're just horrible role models as coaches. And then when we become a coach, we think, okay, that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like that high school coach. But it's like, dude, that high school coach, nobody was paying that guy for anything. The school paid that dude to work. And, you know, did you like going to his, to gym or whatever? No, not really. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so let's not mimic that. Right. And so that's something I saw early on bringing on coaches is, you know, people kind of mimicking coaches they've had in the past, which maybe weren't yeah. good coaches. So yeah. obviously as the owner, you need to model the behavior. And one way that I teach it is that uh, for owners and, and managers is that do your best to make sure every single action you make and every single thing you say could be repeated for the next 10 years by all your people. Hmm. Because if you act with that type of mindfulness, you're going to have good results. And if you don't, it's what I've seen happen where, you know, oh, the owner or the leader feels it's a time to relax. So they say something goofy or funny. And uh, then it creates this whole pathway for everyone to think they can kind of dick off and say a bunch of crazy stuff or act in a certain way from time to time. And then they misjudge when that time is. And now you've just created a whole vicious cycle. Um, yeah. But yeah, so hiring coaches with, I would say, the right intentionality, the right characteristics, professionalism. We um, inter we interview, do a short interview with references, right? So everyone's required to provide references. And the gold question, the, the, the super gold question to ask references is if you knew everything you knew now about this person, would you hire them again? 
right? Mm-hmm. And you can legally ask that question in any state in the United States. And if the person says, absolutely, then that's probably a good fit. And if they say, I might not, or, you know, they do anything else other than that, don't hire them. And the one time I, I had someone say that, it was like literally actually the one time I had someone say that I didn't listen to that person because I actually knew that person, that manager, it was of an, another fitness concept. And I honestly didn't respect that person. And whether or not I even respect that person now as a manager, they were so right because mm-hmm. I brought that person on anyway. And within three months, it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And thank God they were like leaving anyway when I was about to fire them. So, <laughs> um, so, so that's the biggest thing. And then when you do bring on these people that do have a little bit lesser experience, uh, ensuring you have some type of onboarding process of helping them understand, you know, and you don't have to really think about this too hard, but just, you know, your values as a business, um, you know, and things like that. And then running them through some type of basic prerequisite for boxing. The easiest and best things to do, I would say, going from like a few years ago, when we really started systematizing things out, is to have all of, all of your sessions and all of your curriculums written out. And start off by doing that for yourself. And then as you start to onboard uh, staff and coaches, then you are able to pass that on to them. Uh, you know, you've, you've uh, drawn out the, the things and the way they're supposed to be done. Um, but that's one thing with like my experience is that uh, if I wouldn't have spent so many hours, uh, weeks and years in the gym, coaching, running these sessions, figuring out how to best do them and everything else, uh, it would be very hard for me to to have other people do that. So it's, I think it's very important for business owners uh, at really almost any level to have that real, uh, have your finger on the pulse and have real experience with what everything is, including marketing, because it's so easy to get fleeced by a marketing company. uh, And yeah, right. And there's just like everyone in your mom can be a marketing company. And if you know nothing about marketing, you don't know like what to expect. And they can tell you anything. I remember one marketing company that I fired uh, they, they were saying that they couldn't run ads on Instagram stories unless we had 10,000 followers on Instagram. Mm. And I was like, that's crap because I see the guy down the street has that and he doesn't have 10,000 followers. And so yeah. I looked it up, Google searched it and it's was like, yeah, you're wrong. I was like, yep, yeah, I'm not working with that company anymore. <laughs> yep. They were trying to sell you a prerequisite first. Right. Right, yeah, right, yeah. No, exactly. That's exactly what they were doing. I've worked for a few marketing companies and they were pretty good, but there's just stuff that I come from the SEO world. So mm-hmm. there's just, so you know, there's stuff that you just should not pay money for. Mm. <laughs> they do not drive the needle. And in a perfect world, yeah, do them. But there's just some SEO stuff that doesn't drive the needle. You should not be paying money for it from an SEO person. So yeah, there's well, my research has support the same thing. Cause I'm not an SEO guy, but everything that I've learned uh, confirms largely what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't want to say something you can like get in trouble. With. Well, I mean, there's, but, there's let me, but let's talk about like this point for instance. Okay. So like, should you post on social media? Yes, 100%. We mm-hmm. actually like on our, on our systems and checklists and stuff like that. Our goal is to post at least once a day, you know, yeah. organically on social media. Now, what is the metric that is truly going to move the business, right? Is it going to be our social media posts? And no matter how good we, you know, hashtag them and da, 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 da them, no matter how good we do that, it, 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 do, it barely holds a candle to direct response marketing. 
Yes. Right? That and, was exactly going to say that. You need right? to run a direct response ad. Organic. Yeah. Don't pay $500 for organic posts. Get right. a teenager to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you see so many business owners, they waste money on boosting their posts and doing all this other stuff. Yep. And there's no direct response in there. And nowadays it's so darn easy to, to do this, right? It's not like how it used to be way before I even started business. And so, yeah, it's like that moves the needle because you can literally see if it's, if it's actually uh, doing anything, because I mean, I've, I've, you know, contrived posts and creatives, ad creatives, the other stuff like that. And I've been like, man, this is so amazing. This is so cool, man. This is going to really make people want to experience us. And when you do it direct response style, you can see how it's doing and it like freaking flops. And then like some crap you paste together that looks like garbage. Actually, it's funny. One of our franchise ads, um, I had, it was our highest performing franchise ad. It was actually the only ad creative that actually generated leads. And we actually had uh, franchise partners come off of that ad. Uh, I had somebody say this, like comment on it, say like, this ad looks so outdated. This looks like crap, yada, 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 yada. And I responded back. I was like, that's really funny because, you know, it's our, literally the highest performing ad copy. So, you know, direct response yep. doesn't lie. You're either getting that, you know, leads yeah. off it or you're not. So numbers. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah that's, that's the, um, I'm sure you like Dan Kennedy. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the, um, when I started studying outside of SEO, SEO is kind of its own thing. Yeah. It's like a pit. Um, I specialize in, in content marketing, but it's like all over the place. Sure. Um, when I got, when I started reading outside of marketing, more into the advertising realm, I, I had this paradigm shift reading him. It's like, dude, it's not, you can have all the creatives in the world prognosticating about how good a, an ad is, but that's, that's like this little, like, um, it's, it's an illusion mm. because they're looking at it from a design perspective. Mm. not from a human performance perspective. It's like trying to design a product. Oh yeah, tons of people will buy this product. Well, you can't say that because you like it and right. your grandma likes it. And so, right. oh, I'm going to make tons of money off of this. No, it, you don't know that until it hits the market and people buy it. So you, so you have to validate with real market behavior. And, and what you say as well, what you've seen with some industry leaders, um, maybe not so much with fitness, but just in general though, these huge advertising firms with these gigantic companies, it yeah. largely, what I see, it becomes about them them winning advertising awards versus driving results, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, because, you know, like we all know, man. So my, my father also, he taught inferential statistics. So I'm not real versed in statistics, but I have at least a layman's understanding of it and awareness of it. So, you know, think about it. You have this, you know, huge company, which is driving so much in sales. And then you have a marketing company that they pay so much money to. And how are they supposed to truly validate their worth uh, with these kind of just general awareness ads and mm -hmm. somehow trying to act like that is a direct causation of the increase yep. in revenue, right? It's like, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. If you want to do general awareness marketing, just be at events. Don't, yeah. like, don't be spending a ton of money on general awareness marketing. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And have a shingle, hang a shingle out, put a sign. Well, and you know you what go. I've noticed too, man, <laughs> again, just doubling down on like with social media, with the direct response style marketing, like lead form, stuff like that, is that you actually create, when you spend enough in, in advertising, so like give everyone an example, some hard numbers, like our location, um, we spend 60 bucks a day just on Instagram and Facebook alone. Mm -hmm. um, when you're spending that much on, it's, it's also creating that uh, awareness too, Right. So yeah. even if the people don't click the ad, they still see it. They still think about it. And we actually kind of notice a correlation 
mm-hmm. on website visits when our social media marketing's up. And like our social media marketing doesn't lead to our website. It's its own funnel. And so it's like, yeah, when this goes up, oh, website visits go up and Google searches go up when our social media marketing goes up, but they're not actually connected. Well, why? Because it's awareness, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that our uh, our guy, uh, Dr. Cialdini calls that priming. Yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And- and you see, and you see the priming effect, um, in, in search marketing too, because if you run search ads, um, on Google, you see more organic visits. And this is from data that I saw personally. This is not something I read. This is data I saw personally working agency side with multiple yeah. websites. If there were, there was a correlation between the web pages that showed up on a search, a Google search ad and the web pages that were subsequently clicked organically. So it does help your organic clicks. I've seen the same thing. Uh, My sample size wasn't as large as yours, but yes, I've seen the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Dude, we're, uh, this is a lot of like really good information for a free podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You know, real quick. So my intention and for, you know, folks listening, you know, man, I was thinking about it earlier, Josh was like, man, my intention I just thought about it because like, man, I, I consume so much information, right? And yes, I've had some great mentors along the way, but a lot of what I've learned, same thing like it sounds like with yourself mm-hmm. is self-taught stuff uh, through reading and everything else. And yeah. man, people talk so much about these conceptual things, but then it's like, dude, you just, I got to the point after a couple of years, like, just give me exact steps. Like, what the hell do I need to do exactly? Like, don't right. tell me about the idea or this, that, and the other thing that sounds yeah. cool and sexy. Like, dude, just... Just tell me like what's step one, two, and three. That's all I need to know. Like just tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me what works. I can figure out some of the stuff, other stuff later when I have room to breathe. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, can, I can start, you know, trying to work with theory. Uh, right. but absolutely. Um, my last question to you is um so uh true, like true blue coaches, they're gonna want to produce fighters. How do you manage having a successful business that's accessible to most people and also being able to to have legitimate fighters produced out of your gym? How do you structure your business? To, That's a great question. To do yeah. that. So, and I've, I have helped um, other boxing gyms that are not, you know, Ketmer Boxings do this. Uh, you have to make a clear line of distinction between your non, we, we call it contact. So your, you know, fitness boxing and contact mm-hmm. type sessions. All right. That's number one. Uh, so, so therefore I've seen so many people make mistakes with this where it's like, oh, well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at this time is the fitness boxing. And then Tuesday and Thursday at the same exact time is this contact thing. And, you know, it's just like, it's way too mixed up. You have to make it really clear in the schedule yeah. and have it never shift. So therefore me as a client, I joined for fitness boxing. I'm never going to accidentally show up to the same time. I normally show up. But it's just a different day. And all of a sudden it's contact boxing. It's like, oh, geez. Yep. And now I'm expected to get hit. Yep. So that's one thing. And then the separate thing as well with that is I would say almost to have three tiers is you have your fitness boxing, you have your contact boxing, which is beginner friendly, but it does uh, teach the real martial arts. And you actually do drills with other people in a controlled fashion that you can you know, titrate and build people up. Uh, and then third is when you do have your competitors, they, you have to instill a credo in them with, Hey, look, like you are here to help other people grow as well as grow yourself. We're going to give you some special time alone, but that is a privilege. That's not an expectation. That is a privilege because you've been putting the work in yourself, right? Mm. Uh, one great champion, Marvin Hagler, uh, uh, the Petronelli brothers that coached him 
they said uh, every boy that came through the gym, they would tell them the same thing. They would say, hey, yeah, you, everyone, kid, it's like, I want to be a fighter. Okay, cool. Well, you're not going to be able to stay up late. You're not going to be able to go out and drink. You're not going to be able to hang out with girls, yada, 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 yada. And it's going to be horrible and suffering. Everything else is going to be, you know, years until you get any type of payoff. And he, they said he was the only kid that was like, okay, I'll do it. And uh, that's what he turned <laughs> into. And so instilling that in your fighters as well, where it's like, hey, look, like, you're, you know, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to fight. It's not a guarantee. I've had a lot of people with our, in our contact program that like, oh, they want to fight, they want to fight, but they're not putting the work in to fight. And I am not so hungry for fighters that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll let that person fight even though they're not ready for it. So they understand it's a privilege and they understand that how they conduct themselves in our facilities is, you know, going to determine that as well. If they're, you know, not uh, being respectful to other people and not helping other team members out, then it's no bueno. They don't belong with us. Um, and so, yeah, so really almost like three tiers, you know, general kind of fitness concept, which you are going to be making a lot of money that way. And obviously impacting people from more of a health perspective. Uh, and then you have the contact program, a little bit more of that standard martial arts style and approach. And then thirdly is that, that fighter level, which is a privilege to be a part of, mm. and it's not a guarantee, no matter how skilled you are. And if yeah. in the second you, uh, deviate from that, you're, you're going to be hurting your business. I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen the same exact theme ha- thing happen, not with um, boxing, but with Taekwondo, sure. um, where uh, instructors get a little, they get a, they get greedy with the things they have in their disposal. They have demo team, they have sparring team, they have competition team. And instead of choosing people that really want to be there mm. and giving them that extra validation and training for putting in the work and, and getting good. They charge people for mm. being in the sparring program, being yeah. on the demo team, but you know, do, doing that kind of stuff. And so anybody can be there. And the same kid that was, you know, being lackadaisical in regular class is bringing that energy to demo team and sparring class because he doesn't want to be there either. And it just brings the team down. And I don't think it helps retention at all. I think it, it, yeah. it can, it can, because if the parents not seeing results, it can really destroy um, their perception of the value of the program. Yeah, that's a great point because that's the thing about <clears throat> in business, right? Uh, and also with with fighting too, uh, you know, with anything in life, right? Is that you, it's it's all about what time frame you expand it over, right? So, like, yes, charging more money. It's like if right now we want to charge our individuals that compete, we have about like seven or eight, and about seven or eight more that are going to be getting ready to compete. If it was like, okay, you're on the competition team. So now you're going to pay more money to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a short-term increase maybe in money, maybe, but like you're saying, uh, then it becomes this thing of like, it's a goal to upsell you now, even though you're not truly earning it and ready for it or whatever. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then it eventually just hurts the morale of that team. People fall off the team. It becomes a joke really. And yeah. So if you draw it out over a longer period of time, it actually doesn't make you any more money and maybe it actually loses you money. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Yep. I totally agree. Cool. So, um, where can people find you? Is there uh, what do you want to plug? I know you have a franchise. So yeah, well, so we'll go to kevinboxing.com. That's one thing. Check us out there. That's where people can find out about the franchise. But also, we have a YouTube channel, Kepner Boxing. I think it's just called Kepner Boxing. Uh, we got about maybe a little bit over 3,000 subscribers. So check that out. A lot of good tips and things like that. I do some fight studies there as far as instructional stuff. Uh, and then I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, if anyone's on LinkedIn, you know, follow me there. And then also, you know, I'm pretty much an open book 
uh, with most things. And I'm always looking to help people and uh, help them succeed like I was helped. So if anyone ever has any questions or anything like that, just reach out to me on one of those platforms. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, Josh. Thank you.